I take great pride in Chicago First and in all the ways the city has led the way. I've devoted two episodes to many of the Chicago Firsts, but this episode, which also features a few Chicago Firsts, may be the one I enjoyed putting together most. This episode is the story of Provident Hospital, the first owned and operated African-American hospital not just in Chicago, but in the country. We will also discuss the first open-heart surgery, which was performed by a black surgeon, and the first African-American woman to be admitted to the Medical College of Chicago at Northwestern University. I'm Tommy Henry, and this is the Chicago History Podcast. For much of our nation's history, until the civil rights era in the 1960s, African-Americans requiring health care were denied help at most hospitals. This included ones in Chicago. According to census records, in 1890, Chicago had a population of 1,099,850. Of that, nearly 1.1 million people, only 15,000 were African-American. That is less than 1.5%. If that number sounds incorrect, keep in mind that in every U.S. census prior to 1910, more than 90% of the African-American population lived in the American South. In 1900, only one-fifth of African-Americans living in the South were living in urban areas. This number changed during the Great Migration, when roughly 6 million African-Americans left the rural South for a chance at better lives in the Northwest, West, and the Midwest that occurred between 1916 and 1970. That disparity in numbers, especially in the relatively short time after the Civil War and the Emancipation Proclamation, affected much in the day-to-day lives of African Americans in Chicago. Daniel Hale Williams was born in Pennsylvania in 1856 and graduated in 1883 from Chicago Medical School, which eventually became Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. Although he treated whites and African-Americans, segregation prohibited him from working in a hospital. Williams was able to secure a spot at the Southside Dispensary, a free clinic operated by the Chicago Medical College, where he served as anatomical demonstrator for medical students from 1885 to 1888, thus becoming Northwestern's first African-American medical faculty member. One of the notable future physicians Dr. Williams taught, Charles Mayo, M.D., who went on to become one of the founders of the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. At that time, Williams was only one of three black physicians in Chicago. In addition to his privileges at the Southside Dispensary, Hale got a job as surgeon to the City Railway Company, quickly establishing a reputation as a skilled surgeon. In 1889, Illinois Governor Joseph Pfeiffer appointed Williams to the State Board of Health. Williams also served as attending physician at the Protestant Orphan Asylum. Despite all of the accomplishments and progress Williams had made, none of the established hospitals in Chicago would grant privileges to a black surgeon. He was fortunate that he could operate at the dispensary, but was still concerned about the educational and practice opportunities for other black physicians. In the late 1880s, Ohio-born Emma Ann Reynolds, a young African-American woman who had been educated at Wilberforce University in Ohio, had been denied admission by each of the Chicago's nursing schools because of her race. 
Her brother, the Reverend Louis H. Reynolds, pastor of St. Stephen African Methodist Episcopal Church, approached Dr. Daniel Hale-Williams for help. Dr. Dan, as he was known to patients, came up with an idea for Emma Reynolds and other African-American women to receive proper training as professional nurses, he would help establish the Provident Hospital and Training School, a private interracial medical facility. In 1880, a commitment from the Armour Meatpacking Company was obtained for the down payment on a three-story brick house at 29th and Dearborn Streets. One year later, a board of trustees, an executive committee, and a finance committee were named. A community advisory board and a women's auxiliary board were put into place. And on May 4th, 1891... Provident Hospital and Training School Association opened as a 12-bed facility. Dr. Daniel Hale-Williams was appointed hospital chief of staff. It was the first interracial hospital in Chicago. The staff and patients were both black and white, and the first black-owned and operated medical institution in the entire country serving all races. The 1891 charter for the Provident Hospital and Training School Association stated it was, quote, for the gratuitous treatment of the medical and surgical diseases of the sick poor, end quote. By 1891, seven women, including Emma Reynolds, had enrolled in the first nursing class. The first physician in surgical training, Dr. Aaron Curtis, received two years of instruction under Dr. Williams from 1891 through 1893. Dr. Curtis would go on to become the first black surgeon-in-chief at Freedman's Hospital in Washington, D.C. On Thursday, October 27, 1892, ceremonies were held at the Bethel African Methodist Church at 30th and Dearborn Streets for the four nursing graduates, Florence Phillips, Bertha I. Estes, Lillian Reynolds, and the nurse who helped get all this started, Emma A. Reynolds. On the platform during the ceremonies was Judge Walter Q. Gresham, who made a short speech saying, quote, The white people are unfair in their judgment of the colored race. They expect too much of you. They do not think it is only 30 years since you were freed from the degradation of slavery. That you have made great progress is evidenced here tonight. After her graduation, Emma Reynolds became the first African-American woman to be admitted to the Medical College of Chicago at Northwestern University, receiving her medical degree in 1895, the first African-American female to do so. Reynolds went on to practice medicine in Waco, Texas, working as a supervisor of the training school for nurses and became resident physician of Paul Quinn College. She spent two years in New Orleans, Louisiana, then after a brief stint at Friedman's Hospital in Washington, moved back to Frankfurt, Ohio, where her ailing parents still lived. She continued to practice medicine until her death of heart disease in 1917. On July 9, 1893, a 24-year-old African-American named James Cornish arrived at Provident Hospital with a knife wound to his chest. He suffered during a bar brawl. As the wound appeared superficial, as was often during the practice during those days, Cornish was given a hospital bed to rest overnight. As Cornish's heartbeat grew weaker, Dr. Williams decided to act. Williams gathered six colleagues, four white and two black physicians, as witnesses and worked to save Cornish's life. 
A blood transfusion would not be an option for almost 45 years. That's another Chicago first. The first blood bank in the United States opened at Chicago's Cook County Hospital in 1937. There were no antibiotics like penicillin available to him. That didn't come into use until the waning days of World War II. And Dr. Williams only had a crude form of anesthesia. Dr. Williams used a scalpel to make a small hole in Cornish's chest and discovered that the knife wound had punctured the pericardium, that's that double-walled sac that surrounds the heart, but had not damaged the heart itself except for a small cut. Cleaning the wound with a salt solution heated to 100 degrees Fahrenheit, he sewed the heart sac together with a fine catgut. There were some reports that a physician in St. Louis performed a similar surgery two years earlier, but Williams was credited internationally as the first surgeon to successfully suture the wall surrounding the human heart. Three weeks later, Cornish returned to Providence so that Dr. Williams, making a two-inch incision in his chest, could drain off five pints of fluid that had collected in his chest. All seemed well after that, but several months later, Cornish was again injured in an altercation, returning again to Provident Hospital. Where's Dr. Dan? He was quoted as yelling to the hospital attendants. So it's you, Cornish, answered Dr. Williams. How many policemen are after you this time? After patching up his patient once again, Williams sent Cornish home and reportedly to a long and healthy life. Cornish lived another 20 years. In 1894, Dr. Daniel Hale Williams was appointed by President Grover Cleveland as Surgeon-in-Chief at Freedman's Hospital in Washington, D.C. A year later, Williams helped organize the National Medical Association as an alternative to the American Medical Association, which didn't allow African-American membership. Williams returned to Providence and in 1902 became the first surgeon to successfully repair a spleen. Other honors Dr. Williams later received included being the first African-American named as a fellow in the prestigious American College of Surgeons in 1913. Though Williams consistently made efforts to include other African-Americans in the college, the honor would not be bestowed on another black physician for 21 years. An 1896 campaign to raise funds for a larger building on donated land at 36th and Dearborn, about a mile from the original building, was successful. One of the notable contributors was abolitionist and writer Frederick Douglass, who gave a public lecture in Chicago and donated money at the site to Dr. Williams. While making progress, discrimination toward the nurses who graduated from Providence program was still evident. The Visiting Nurses Association, which was formed by a group of wealthy society women to provide free nursing care in the homes of the sick, would not hire black nurses. The leaders of Provident Hospital decided to form their own visiting nurse service in 1897, providing more than 990 visits to nearly 200 homes during the first year of operation. It is important to point out, Provident Hospital was a private institution which relied partly on patient fees for income, but since many patients were unable to pay for their treatments, the hospital also depended on welfare reimbursements and charity, both of which often proved inadequate. By 1917, still struggling to offset expenses, a plea for assistance was made by Dr. George Cleveland Hall. The October 10, 1917 Chicago Tribune article led with the line, The Provident Hospital for Negroes is still in need of a considerable part of the $15,000 fund to meet its deficit. 
Dr. Hall maintained that, quote, diminished activities on the part of the hospital is a menace to the health of the entire city, end quote, pointing out an increasing number of cases of smallpox, tuberculosis, and pneumonia, especially among the 20,000 Negroes recently come from the South, according to the article. $15,000 in 1917 is slightly more than $300,000 in today's money. During the 1918 Spanish flu, it was reported there were 381 deaths across the city of Chicago on one day. This flu, while not disproportionately affecting the black community, did put a strain on Provident Hospital's resources. We'll be right back. Are you a Caribbean American? Are you looking for a podcast that truly speaks to your culture and identity? Look no further than Carry On Friends, the ultimate destination for all things Caribbean American, hosted by me, Carrie Ann. Dive deep into topics such as culture, heritage, and everyday life through the unique lens of the Caribbean American experience. You'll walk away feeling more connected to your roots. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts so you'll never miss an episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American experience. Your Caribbean American community awaits. On July 27, 1919, Chicago was in the middle of a brutal heat wave. The lakefront beaches were crowded with those looking for relief, including a group of African-American youths. One of the youths, 17-year-old Eugene Williams, inadvertently drifted over the invisible line that separated the black and white sections of the 29th Street beach on his raft. Taking offense to this crossing of lines, one white beachgoer began throwing rocks at the black kids in the water. Eugene Williams, some reports say, was hit in the head with a rock, which caused him to slip off his raft and drown. Making the situation even worse, it was reported a white policeman refused to arrest the white man who threw the rock which caused Eugene Williams' death. That incident ignited Chicago's race riots of 1919. Local hospitals were inundated with those hurt and even killed, but from what I've seen, none more than Provident Hospital. The Tuesday, July 29, 1919 edition of the Chicago Tribune went as far as to report the situation in area hospitals. This is as it appears in print, although I've changed the order of the hospitals slightly. Michael Reese, two white soldiers brought there as a result of riots, one shot through the chest and another through one thigh. St. Luke's. Three white men suffering from bullet wounds, three others went home, all expected to live. Hanneman, one patient, policeman J. O'Brien, who sustained severe bullet wound in shoulder. Fort Dearborn, four white men and one colored man, one critically wounded. S. Gilbert, white patient at this hospital, has sustained the most serious wound, a bullet through one lung. The Negro had been shot through one leg. Wesley, one white man. Provident, 50, that's five zero. Fifty men, all colored, two dead, six likely to die. No riot victims had been taken to the Douglas Park, Streeter, or postgraduate hospitals. The article went on to say the ten physicians, three interns, and fifteen nurses, some of whom had been on duty for more than 24 hours at Provident, were all colored except for the superintendent, Miss Emily M. Kimmel. 
Ms. Kimmel claimed that during the riots, they treated, quote, about 100 persons, most of whom left without giving their names, end quote. According to an NPR piece in 2019, by the end of the riots, 38 people, 23 black, 15 white, were dead. More than 350 people reported injuries and 1,000 black homes had been burned. None of the white participants in the riot ever faced consequences for their involvement. Provident once again moved into larger facilities in 1933 at 432 East 51st Street and formed a teaching alliance with the University of Chicago. The newly refurbished seven-story building added considerable space for patient care, education, and administrative functions. A four-story outpatient building was constructed and two apartment buildings at 50th and Vincennes were purchased to house student nurses. During the Great Depression, Provident struggled financially, but unlike other institutions who then recovered in the post-war economic expansion, Providence challenges only increased as black migration to Chicago swelled the population in the hospital's Bronzeville neighborhood. The hospital narrowly avoided bankruptcy in the late 1940s, then remained reasonably stable financially over the next two decades. According to author Nathaniel Wesley in his 2010 book, Black Hospitals in America, History, Contributions, and Demise, the Civil Rights Act of 1964 and the 1965 enactment of Medicare and Medicaid, with their non-discrimination clauses applicable to any institution receiving federal funding, had ironic consequences for institutions like Provident. It had become more common for African-American physicians to be granted privileges at larger hospitals and for black patients, especially those now insured by Medicare or Medicaid, to receive care at other institutions. The financial condition of Providence worsened. The shift of nursing education from hospitals to colleges of nursing also lessened Providence's role as an education institution, and the Provident Nursing School closed in 1966. Once again, having trouble keeping up with debt, Provident Hospital was scheduled to close in the 1970s when a federal loan enabled the construction of a new facility, which was completed in 1981. Due to mounting debt, Provident Hospital closed its doors in 1987. The Cook County Board of Commissioners acquired the hospital in 1991, and it was reopened as a satellite medical facility in 1993. It was announced in August of 2019 that Cook County Health planned to invest in a new $240 million eight-story building for Provident. But by February 2020, those plans were put on hold following the ouster of Cook County Health's CEO and word that competing hospitals had plans to build their own facilities. Construction of the new building was planned to be completed by 2023, and system officials said the new hospital would allow more of those in need of services to go to Provident instead of going to Stroger Hospital, which is eight miles away. In September of 2004, the Feinberg School of Medicine dedicated a new state-of-the-art auditorium and atrium in honor of the late Daniel Hale Williams, M.D., acknowledged as the school's first African-American graduate and faculty member. Housed in the atrium is a commemorative display and a bust of Williams by Preston Jackson, a renowned Illinois artist who was, and still is, as of this writing, a professor of sculpture at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. 
On one of the panel walls in the atrium is a quote from activist Frederick Douglass, advice he gave to Daniel Hale Williams, who was a longtime friend. It reads, You say you see what ought to be done. Well, hoping will do no good now or any time. There is only one way you can succeed, and that is to override the obstacles in your way by the power that is within you. Do what you hope to do. On July 10, 2008, the Washington Post ran this from the American Medical Association. The country's largest medical association is set to issue a formal apology today for its historic antipathy toward African-American doctors, expressing regret for a litany of transgressions, including barring black physicians from its ranks for decades and remaining silent during battles on landmark legislation to end racial discrimination. The apology marks one of the rare times a major national organization has expressed contrition for its role in the segregation and discrimination that black people have experienced in the United States. Richard Allen Williams, a clinical professor of medicine at the University of California at Los Angeles and the president of the Minority Health Institute, said the apology is, quote, an excellent gesture of goodwill. I applaud the AMA for doing this. In the current climate of health care, it is a very timely gesture, he said. Less than 5% of physicians are African Americans, and that needs to be changed. This cannot be changed by African American physicians alone, and we all need to move forward together. Dr. Daniel Hale Williams experienced a debilitating stroke in 1926 and died five years later on August 4, 1931, at his home in Idlewild, Michigan. He is buried in Chicago at Graceland Cemetery. In 1990, the Provident Hospital Nurse Alumni Association erected a tombstone for Dr. Emma Reynolds in Greenlawn Cemetery in Frankfort, Ohio. In 1994, Dr. Emma A. Reynolds was inducted into the Ohio Women's Hall of Fame for her accomplishments. Today, on the site where the original Provident Hospital stood is Williams Daniel Hale Park. A few miles south of there is the Daniel Hale Williams Prep School of Medicine, a high school whose stated vision is, quote, to create an institution that will become a part of the medical school pipeline, addressing the attrition of underrepresented minority medical school student applicants. It is also our vision that all students will develop lifelong habits of mind such as responsibility, accountability, discipline, collaboration, continuous inquiry, and a determination to succeed. I believe this quote from Dr. Daniel Hale Williams may sum things up best. A people who don't make provision for their own sick and suffering are not worthy of civilization. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode, and as always, I'd love to hear from you if you have any questions about anything covered today or have a different topic you think might be a good fit for an episode of the Chicago History Podcast. If you have anything in mind, I can be reached by email at chicagohistorypod at gmail.com. I will be posting news articles, pictures, and ads from back in the day related to this episode on the Chicago History Podcast social media pages. Check it out and give us a follow, please. Thanks, as always, to John K. Schneider for creating the Chicago History Podcast logo and the art used on these social media pages. He can be found at Angel Eyes Art JKS on Instagram 
or via email at angeleyesartjks at gmail.com. If you would, please take a moment and like, subscribe, and kindly review this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and tell a friend. It helps us get the word out and reach new history fans and fans of Chicago. Get out and explore when possible. Learn more about whatever city you live in and stay safe. Thanks for listening.